This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. So, Bree, I remember this one time I was in a bike race around Tucson, and uh, I wasn't paying attention. We were riding down 4th Avenue, and there's railroad tracks, like street track tracks, and my bike's tire like went and wedged in to the railroad tracks, no. and I totally fell down and just like skinned my hands, everything. Ugh. I had nothing with me, nothing at all. And it's that times where you want a first aid product and you have nothing. And <laughs> active skin repair utilizes a molecule called hypochlorous acid. When applied to the skin, the molecule works by mimicking the natural immune response to cleanse, soothe irritation, reduce inflammation, and support healing. I've used it on my son's mosquito bites, and I wish I would have had it the time I totally scraped up my hands. Oh, I hear you. Like whenever I go paddleboarding, kayaking, I'm always trying to find something that is like an all-in-one that I can take with me. And active skin repair could be used like that. It can be used to treat cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, and other types of skin damage. It's also safe and non-toxic, which makes it suitable for all skin types, all parts of the body, like eczema and acne-prone skin, all of that. With over 500,000 happy customers, thousands of five-star reviews, and ingredients so safe and clean they can be used from the youngest member of the family to the oldest, you now have one simple solution for all of your family's skin health needs. Visit www.activeskinrepair.com to learn more about Active Skin Repair and to get 20% off your order. Use code NOGUILT. Welcome to the No Guilt Mom podcast. I am your host, Joanne Crone, joined here by my gleeful, funny co-host, Brie Tucker. Why, hello, hello, everybody. How are you? <laughs> I, I like wish making do... pieces before the intro. <laughs> I know. I have to start like coming up with ways to have it be interesting to see for people that are, are checking us out on YouTube. So yeah, trying... you got to be see. You, you could check out our nice attire today on YouTube yes. where uh, yes. we're dressed in our Arizona winter gear because we're recording this a little bit early. I know it. it's it's spring now, spring now, and a little really close to our VIP retreat, Brie. I know. Like it just happens in the next few weeks from now. I can't believe it. Sun, fun, I, people. I mean, you can't lose. You can't lose. No, water park with a bar. Can't lose. <laughs> I know, right? Every every lazy <laughs> river should have a bar. <laughs> exactly. And and don't have to bring your kids along that as yes. well. Yes, exactly. <laughs> well, this podcast guest actually came at the best time because it's funny. I came on this interview. We got on the studio about two minutes before and I'm really stressed out with all of the things. And you're like, do you want to cancel? I'm like, no, I'm going to do this. Um, but it was all of these working parent issues that is what we talk about in this episode where my son came home sick yesterday. I found a doctor's appointment for him this morning and I was running directly from that doctor's appointment to here to log on and while being worried about my son and his health. And it's just a lot when you're balancing work and you're balancing your roles as a parent. Yeah. And it, it seems like it like is never ending. And we also talk about the fact that it feels like everybody's expecting more and more and more and that our bodies, our brains default to more and more and more, even though that's not the best way to handle it. Yeah, this is a good one if you are feeling overwhelmed. So we're talking with Yael Schoenbrunn, who is a clinical psychologist specializing in treating relationships. She is a co-host for the Psychologists Off the Clock podcast. 
an assistant professor at Brown University and a parent of three sons. Her writing about working parenthood has appeared in the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, Washington Post, Greater Good Sciences Center, among others. And her new book, which is fantastic and you really need to get, is Work Parent Thrive, 12 Science-Backed Strategies to Ditch Guilt, Manage Overwhelm, and Grow Connection When Everything Feels Like Too Much, which I think everyone can agree with right now. I was going to say, can we say that's an everyday problem? (laughs) Everyday problem. So we hope you enjoy our interview with Yael. You want mom life to be easier. That's our goal too. Our mission is to raise more self-sufficient and independent kids, and we're going to have fun doing it. We're going to help you delegate and step back. Each episode, we'll tackle strategies for positive discipline, making our kids more responsible and making our lives better in the process. Welcome to the No Guilt Mom Podcast. loved your book, Yael. And uh, working as a parent is extremely, extremely hard. And I think today is a really great interview day for this because I have had it dealt to me this morning and last night with a kid's doctor's appointment this morning out of the blue, which luckily they're able to fit me in at 8.15. And so it's coming from that to dealing with a sick child. And it's just very difficult to be a working parent. So with your book, why did you feel this needed to be written? Well, because I'm a working parent too, and I feel so much of what you're saying. That's like daily occurrence, right? So when I became a working parent, I'm a clinical psychologist by training, and I was on my postdoctoral fellowship, sort of, you know, getting ready to become an assistant professor when I became a parent. And it was really, really hard. And I think what was so hard is that I really didn't expect it to be quite, I I knew that it would be hard, but I thought I have a flexible job. I love my work. I had a healthy pregnancy. I'm really excited to be a parent. I have a supportive partner. This will be hard, but I got this. I got this. And then when I became a working parent and found myself weeping on every commute to work and sitting at my desk working on grants and just feeling so awful being apart from my child. And then in the evening home with my child feeling so ashamed because all my colleagues were lapping me. I was kind of like, there, there's something wrong here. So I, so I did what nerdy people do. And I started reading everything that I could get my hands on from the bookstore and the library. And what I found there was true, right? It was mostly talking about how the systems fail us and also about time management. And those things didn't really get to the heart of what I was experiencing. And I think part of that is that I'm a clinical psychologist. So I tend to look at the psychology of things, but I didn't see anything there that was talking about the human element of this and sort of what we can do and what is the identity struggle and what are the tensions about. And the other part of it is that it was all pretty disheartening. And I'm really a huge fan of the science of happiness, positive psychology. And so this book for me was was what I wanted, right? Something that explored both how do we make this work better and what is the inside part of the issue? Because for sure, there is an outside reality that we need more supports and better policies and more equal marriages. But there's also this human part that I think is really important to talk about more. And what's cool is as I started diving into the academic science, I found a lot of really good nuggets that fit into what I was looking for. They just weren't written about in the popular press. Things like Mm -hmm. 
uh, this concept of work-family enrichment that hopefully we'll talk about because I think it's sort of the the unknown sister of work-family conflict and it's the more appealing family member because it's really about how our roles can help each other out. It's also about how the tension between our roles actually is something that we can take advantage of. It, it may not always feel good, but there are sort of embedded gifts in the way that our roles bump up against each other. And social science helps us to take better advantage of those gifts. And so that that is what this book is about. It's it's the book that I probably could have used at the front end, but but which now, I mean, I am still a parent. I have three kids and I find these are tools that I use every day in my my working parent life. Yeah. And something that I love that you said is I too have seen in popular media how there is all these societal pressures on us as parents. And it kind of hasn't sat well with me because yes, there are societal pressures and we do need to address it. But it's also kind of taking the power away from us in that moment and saying like, oh, all these other things are wrong and don't worry, like you're doing fine, you're doing good. And to me, I'm like, but I want to improve something. I don't just want to sit here and deal with all of this crap from other people. Like, I want to feel like I have some control in the matter too. And that's kind of what you're saying, that there are these tools that can give us back some of that control with how we're feeling and the stress we're feeling as a working parent, right? A hundred percent. And I do think that the two go hand in hand because if we feel empowered to live our lives and conserve our resources where it doesn't make sense to spend them and expend them where it does make sense, then we can fight those battles in a more sustainable way. So I actually think that working with our psychology helps us implement system change even more effectively. But also to your more broad point, it feels really disempowering to read literature that basically says until policy changes, there's not much you can do because policy changes really slowly and we have to live our lives. Right. And so it's a both and policy change would make this whole thing a lot easier, right? We need parental leave for all sorts of reasons, including for working parents, but like also for people taking care of elders and people who get sick and and things like that. So there's a making the system more humane element that needs to be considered, but also there are things that we can do in the meantime to make our daily lives more tolerable, more enjoyable, more skillful. And that's where the social science can be really, really beneficial. Yeah, and that's empowering to me. And when I was reading your book and going through it, one chapter stuck out, which was this subtraction idea. Because when you mentioned time management, so many time management tips and strategies I've seen out there is like, you just need to space apart your day better and you need to chunk things and you need to take advantage of all these little moments to get everything done. And I'm like, wait, 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 wait. I I am going to be a stressed out, monster if I am trying to get all of this little stuff done. So could you tell us a little bit about what this idea is of subtraction? Hey, all, it is Joanne and Bree here, and we want to tell you about a podcast that you should check out. It's called Understood Explains. This season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Uturbe, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. And in this latest season of Understood Explains, it covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP, and it busts common myths about special education. We actually just listened to the episode, IEPs, Does My Child Need an IEP? And here is what we loved about it. 
I loved that it was so digestible. Like it was such a short episode and all of the topics, which could be really confusing to parents, were easily explained. And I loved how they gave great concrete examples because you know how much I love me a good example. They explained what kind of services and supports you could actually see on a child's IEP or individual education plan. And they explained those acronyms that nothing drives me more crazy than when there's acronyms and I don't get it. I don't know what it stands for. They took the time to explain everything in so much detail and to cover concerns that a lot of families have about special ed services. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains, or just click on the link in our show notes. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. Hey guys, Brie here, and let me tell you, April is a killer time of the year for me because it is crazy allergy season. I swear, everything that is in bloom looks fantastic and beautiful, but it makes it so I can't breathe. I am literally coughing, sneezing, rubbing my nose. I look like Rudolph half of the spring. It's terrible. But luckily for those of us who live with symptoms of allergies like I do, we live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can finally breathe better. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine is the best decongestant available. It relieves sneezing, a runny nose, itchy, watery eyes, itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. I absolutely love it. It is the only allergy medicine that works for me. So if you're ready to live life as if you don't have allergies, it's time to live Claritin Clear. Fast and powerful relief is just one quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Absolutely. And it is probably my favorite chapter of the book because I think it is so counterintuitive and it's this pocket of science that's not much talked about. The other thing that is interesting about that chapter is I didn't actually, when I went under contract to write this book, that chapter was not in there. It happened because I interviewed one of the lead researchers um, in the area of subtraction, whose name is Lydie Klotz. He has a terrific book called Subtract. And as I was interviewing him, I was like, this needs to be an entire chapter. So the chapter features him. He's awesome. (laughs) And it features his science, which is really transformative. So the basic message of what his research reveals is that our brains are really good at adding and they're really bad at subtracting. So when we encounter a life design problem, like how am I going to make this day work? Our mind automatically thinks, what what more do I need to make this day work? And if you think about that from an evolutionary perspective, it kind of makes sense because in pre-modern times, if you encountered a life problem, it was most likely an issue of deficit not enough calories, not enough connections, not enough shelter. And so our brains evolved to default to adding more calories, more connection, more shelter. And that made sense for pre-modern times where we were really exposed and we didn't have a lot. Modern times are different, right? Most of us have very full houses and very full calendars. So more is not necessarily the right answer, but because culture evolves so much more rapidly than our neurology does, our brains haven't quite caught up. And so What is so helpful to recognize is that the subtracting doesn't come effortlessly. What's more, the research shows that when we're overwhelmed, when we have higher what they call cognitive load, 
we're even more likely to overlook subtraction as an option. Now so that we don't makes, even think about it. Now that makes me feel good. So that tells me it's not just Bree's brain that's broke and is <laughs> constantly trying to add more stuff when I'm stressed. It's it's pre-wired that way and everybody is. So yay, it's not just me. I'm not alone. <laughs> no. Yeah, you're in very good company. This is yeah. like a human thing. It's a human thing. I always think about it. I think about it as like the target phenomenon when I'm like rushing through target and I only need two things and I'm in such a hurry. And I'm like, well, I'd have to come back later. So I'll just take this, this, and this. And I get That's home. So me. It looks yes. so, yeah, it looks so good in the store. And then when I get home, I'm like, shoot, what am I going to do with all this junk. I just did that on Saturday. We went into Target, me and my daughter. We had two things. And we're like, we don't need a basket. We were like, at the end of the store, our arms are overloaded. We're like, oh, look, they have baskets here. And we grab one $150 later. We're like, it's wild. Okay. So I'm glad I'm in good Target company with you guys. (laughs) Yeah, it's really a problem. But what's helpful there is like Bree said, like your brain is not broken. It it does what human brains do, which is it defaults to adding. And what that reveals to us is we need to sort of pause when we're making those kinds of decisions and recognize that even when it's not the better choice, our impulse is to add. And so therefore it's helpful to create some habits around subtracting, particularly when you're mm-hmm. feeling overwhelmed. And hey, which working parent isn't overwhelmed? I'd like to meet you oh because gosh. I haven't met any of you yet. But most of us working parents are feeling pretty taxed and pulled in so many different directions. And so recognizing that thinking about subtracting isn't going to come naturally helps you to be more deliberate about it. And so I talk in the book about some of the practices that we can start to embed in our lives that can help us be more active in considering subtraction as, as you know, it's that that's not going to be the only thing that we do. Of course, we have to add sometimes, but to be more deliberate about considering sub- subtracting as a choice, as an option. Yeah. And one of the stories you told is, is so relatable and I think would be such a hard decision for many women to make because we have all of these expectations put on us that we should provide certain things for our kids. And you had this incidence with you wanted your kids to have bar mitzvahs and you made a big decision there. Can you tell us kind of that story and how you use subtraction? Yeah. So I was writing this book during the pandemic and I was feeling very overwhelmed. There were so many things going on. And, you know, among the many things going on is that I have three boys when, and my oldest is now 12, but at the beginning of the pandemic, he was nine, I guess, 10. He was, he was 10. He was turning 11. And so we had just started doing Hebrew school for him and it was expensive. It was also a huge time suck. And it is important to me that they have certain features of spiritual community and heritage and tradition. And I want them to learn Hebrew because my parents are Israeli. So I was like, this is good. And this is what I'd always planned. And I I just, you know, this is what I'm going to do. I hadn't really thought about the alternative of not doing it. It was more, how am I going to do it? But it was miserable because it went online and it was super expensive. And there was so much going on and I was so stressed out with the book. And then I started thinking about subtraction and the light bulb went off. I was like, wait, why am I doing this? Why am I sinking in all of these resources? My kid doesn't like it. It's kind of making me miserable. It's occupying so much of our time and it's making the financial resources not available to other things that are really of interest to the entire family. Do I want to consider subtracting? And I was like, 
no, but this is super important. And then I started doing the questions that I talk about in the book, which is to really clarify my values around what function is this serving? Like, why is this so important to me? And I realized that it really was like the community and the tradition and the language part. And I was like, wait a sec, it's all online. So I'm not getting the community. The traditions aren't really happening because it's like so brief and and we're rushing through it. So we're not really getting the sense of spirituality and they're not actually learning much Hebrew because it's more like Bible study. So like, I'm not getting any of what the why is, why I'm contributing all these resources. It probably doesn't make sense. And there might be other ways that I can bring those values to life that don't require so much investment. And it was pretty hard to decide to drop out of that because it was, you know, it is something that I'd always thought that I would do. It helped to say, you know, I'm going to try some other ways to fulfill these values for a year and see how that goes. This is always available to me if I want to go back. And we haven't gone back. This is, we've decided that bar mitzvahs are not going to happen in our family and we're going to have a lot more disposable income for it. And we do other things like my kids get tutoring in Hebrew and we go to services. We just don't do the Hebrew school classes. So we find other ways um, that are less time consuming and less expensive, but that allow me to fulfill the why. So it's that question of first noticing the impulses to add, could I consider subtracting? Mm-hmm. Asking what what the why is, like of the thing that you're debating, should I keep this or subtract it? What What's the function of it? What is your value there? And then if it is fulfilling the value perfectly, you know, you keep it. But if it's not, then can you consider subtracting it? And if there's something important that gets lost, are there other ways that you can fulfill that value that are less expensive, quote unquote, you know, in terms of time and energy and other resources. I, and I absolutely love that story. Cause I mean, Brie, I bet you could relate something that you feel like you have to do, like you have to do. Oh yeah. And you're like pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing. We really don't think that, Hey, do we really need to do this at all? And is it even fulfilling the reasons we did it in the first place? I was just thinking like, do we not have this conversation work-wise at least once a week of like, <laughs> of like maybe like, no, we have to do it. And I was just thinking about that. Like, that is a really fantastic thing to be able to do. It takes a lot of practice, I would think, because first of all, if you're doing it yourself, being able to recognize that, like you were just saying, the thought process that you had that you have to do it, being able to question it is is in some cases like questioning what you feel like are like core parts of you. So that's a little scary and hard to do. And then also, if you happen to have somebody else helping you with it, Sometimes you dig in your hills even deeper because you're like, no, 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 I have to defend it. But once you come around to being able to let go of it, it's so much weight off your shoulders. It is. And I I think there's maybe some loss that goes along with it. And so, you know, to recognize that that's a part of subtracting is like you're saying no and there's going to be loss there too. But that can free up time and resources in ways that's really valuable. Related to what you're saying too, I think one of the reasons that we often get stuck in not considering subtraction is social pressure. Everybody else Mm -hmm. is doing it and therefore I should too. This happens so much in the parenting domain, also in work, but I think it's so dominant in parenting that everybody's doing sports and my kid's going to get behind or everybody's doing Russian math and oh my gosh, what's going to happen if my kid doesn't? Or everybody's hosting birthday parties. I'm going to be a leper if I don't or volunteering with the PTO and you know I, I'm going to be a bad person if I don't contribute. And what's helpful there is to 
unhook from the social pressure and recognize like we're social creatures. Like that is normal to worry about whether we're sort of fitting in and doing right by our peers. Yeah. How's it going to look? But that kind of thing. How's it yeah. going to look? Yeah. But then to ask, you know, what is it that I want to stand for apart from what everybody else is standing for? Can I consider for myself what is most important, even if what's important to me is not what's important to other people. So for me, downtime is really important. I have Mm -hmm. most of my parent friends are go, go, go and have their kids in so many extracurriculars. And I I have my kids in some extracurriculars, but I have a rule that each kid only gets one thing at a time. I have three kids, so it's still a a good rule. Yeah. It's a good rule. Mm -hmm. But but so many of my parent friends do way more. And so part of me is like, oh, am I not enriching my kids enough? But I really love my downtime and I love just hanging with my kids. I I really enjoy that. And I think other people get a little itchy when they sit still. For me, I, I like sitting still with my kids. So it's a it's what works for you and recognizing that it can be uncomfortable. There can be loss, but there can also be this fear of social comparison or social judgment that goes along with it. But when you're clear on your values, on your why and what's important to you, it can help you to transcend those kinds of discomforts and live in more in line with your values. Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? Play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Coe, and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. It's so funny because I, I've i eventually worked up to that thinking. My husband is very much very strong for his downtime, does not like our weekends packed while I'm more social and always have been more social and want to like be doing things. And we've been together now for 20 years. And so his line of thinking has rubbed off on me a little so that now I'm like, no, I'm not going to go there or no, I'm not going to do this. And it's really a process that once you start embracing it, you find you have so much control over your time and so much control over your energy too. And resentment from not having to do those things that you feel like you're socially 
obligated to do, but you still know that you're in line with your values and you're really putting what's important to you out there. So I love this values and I love to talk about downtime. Can we talk mm-hmm. a little bit about the benefits of just doing nothing? Yeah. There are so many benefits to doing nothing and our culture does not really enforce it. But I actually think people are aware, right? There's this whole mindfulness movement. People know that resting your body and your mind is important. People know that being able to be alone with your thoughts has value also for our kids. People know that being able to not be stimulated by our screens and engaged in you know mind-numbing activities is really good for our emotion management. And yet, we're kind of prompt, like you can know that, but we're prompted all the time to do, do, do. And it is so easy to just be entertained and to be engaged and even to kind of be half engaged, right? You you think about like standing in line at the grocery store. It's like five minutes, but what do you do? You pull out your phone, right? We all do it. I do it, right? And I know this I do it. really well. Mm-hmm. And one other thing I'll just point out too, that when we're a little bit bored and quiet, that's when creativity happens. It's when self-knowledge happens. It's when, you know, restoration happens. So there's all these things that are so good about being and not doing and just kind of idling in a sense. But it's so hard in our culture with all the temptations to be entertained and all the discomfort that we have about sitting still. Like we have judgment. Oh, am I not doing anything? I'm not being productive. Yeah, Um, the productive thing is huge. Especially I think for moms because we're fed this line that like we could do it all and we could do all the things as well as long as we manage our time well. And I think it's such a lie and such a disservice to people because there's so many benefits in the rest and the doing of nothing. Totally. Yeah. We're like sold this false bill of goods that if you do, do, do like that's, that's the good way to be. But actually that's like the recipe for burnout and resentment and lack of creativity and disengagement. Honestly, like when we're do, do, doing, how well do we connect with our kids? I I think that's something that I notice when I don't stop. That is a recipe for me to be disengaged from my kids, even when I'm in the same space as them. And you think to yourself that if you just get like this much done, or if you just finish this work for the day, and I have this issue too, and I have to tell myself, and this is another one of my husband's things. He's like the philosopher, I guess, but um, he's like, there are infinite amount of things that you could be doing at any time, infinite, like you're never going to be done ever. So there's no point in trying and you need to just rest and do nothing. Totally. There's this terrific book. The author is Oliver Berkman called Time Management. It's actually called, the main title is 4,000 Weeks and the subheader is Time Management for Mortals. And he has this anecdote where he talks about how his goal for a long time was to empty out his email inbox, right? To be the guy whose inbox is on empty. But you know, if you respond to all the emails, you just get more because people are like, do. oh, that guy responds. I'll follow yeah. up with him. <laughs> so it does not work. Like if you try to get to, you know, the end, some some end goal, like it's just going to fill back up because life is a process. It's not, a, it's not something you achieve and then you're done and you don't want to be done with your life. So the answer isn't to sort of not have anything on your to-do list, but to be realistic about what makes sense to get done and what makes sense not to get done today, right? Now we're back to subtraction. Yeah, I love it. I love it. And there's so much to think about too. And I know I could get much better at subtraction, but to also give myself a little self-compassion with your the research saying that it's normal for human brains to add on more and it's okay. So 
Yael, what are you looking forward to right now? Lots of things. I mean, it's been, this is my first book and it's been a total trip to be out there sharing the content and talking to awesome people like you guys on this podcast and um, writing. I actually just had yesterday, it'll be a while back by the time this episode comes out, but a piece on subtracting that came out in a terrific outlet called The Behavioral Scientist. And I'm also working on a new book project mm-hmm. and I podcast. So I feel like I have lots and lots of things that I'm excited about. And my kids are at such fun age. So nothing, not like one huge thing, but just I feel like life is so full and interesting. And I still protect my downtime. <laughs> so what I'm really That's looking forward important. to is my Saturday nap. <laughs> Yay! Oh, Those are the best. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank really you so is. much for joining us, y'all. It has been a pleasure and it has flown by. And we so appreciate you and taking the time and sharing this with us. Thank you so much for having me. I so enjoyed chatting with you guys. So other fun story with Yale, like after we stopped the interview, we stayed on for a good five to 10 minutes afterwards, just chatting with her. And she is so lovely. And she's it so, was just like, she she's lovely and she's very down to earth. It was a very easy conversation. And it was funny too, because we were talking about how we all have different abilities and what we can handle in terms of talking to the public. <laughs> oh, Yeah. Yeah, like Bree and I found, I think we already knew this when we, what we can handle is complete opposites in mm-hmm. s- terms of public speaking. Whereas I am like, give me the stage. Like, oh my gosh, that's a rent line, actually. It's said by Maureen. She like pulls in on her motorcycle and she's like, point me to the stage or which way to the stage, depending on who's performing it. But that's kind of how I feel. Like, put me on a stage, put me in front of a lot of people, and I am at home there but put me in a situation where I have to make one-on-one conversation with like 50 different people. And I'm like, oh, depleted. Yeah. And I'm, I'm completely the opposite. I'm fine with having, I think my max audience is 20. Anything over 20, I get overwhelmed, but I could, yeah, I could make conversation with 50 people individually. No problem. One-on-one bread and butter, baby. I love that stuff. But an auditorium full of people, (laughs) Yeah. One-on-one conversation, I'm like totally fine with as long as we can go deep in the conversation and we're in it for a while and each side is do, saying interesting stuff and it's really like intriguing and goes from there. I can't do small talk. I just can't do it. And it's I like guess mind that's like, to me. yeah, I don't like it when people start asking me personal questions. No. Really? If you don't go deep with me, I'm like, bah. <laughs> but you do go deep with me, but like, well, that's because we're, we're friends, friends. We've been like friends for, for a while. Yeah. yeah. For people that I'm, that I am friends with, I, and I mean like really good friends with, I can go deep and tell them all kinds of stuff. But for the most part, I'm a pretty, pretty on the surface, superficial. I'd love to know about your dogs and your cats and how your day was and any parenting issues you got going on or something you want to complain about. I'm all for that, but I'm, Going into the deep trauma and like, nope, nope, what skeletons I got in my closet? No, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, you need to get Yael's book, Work Parent Thrive. It is phenomenal. Go there for, and she has so many more strategies than the ones we talked about today. And until next time, remember the best mom's a happy mom. Take care of you. We'll talk to you later. Thanks for stopping by.
Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy.